service, and we're going to have a testimony Sunday that week. So if God's been stirring something in your heart, or you've got a, you know, you've just had stories recently of physical healing, I hope that some of you would, would share those from the front. But if that's you, please get in touch with me. Just let me know, hey, I've got a testimony. Just love to do it. We're, we'll, we'll open the mic up, but it's nice to have a couple people lined up so it's not just, you know, three minutes of me standing here waiting for the first person to come up. Because that's awkward, although it doesn't bother me that much. You guys can just gaze at my beauty here. Okay. Um, so that's, that's uh, March, is it the 31st? I don't know. It's the fifth Sunday in March, so you can look forward to that. It's The last couple of these we've had have been really powerful, just hearing what God is doing in our midst. And, you know, there's, there's power in testimony, right? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb what Jesus has done and the word of their testimony. Because testimony is remembering what God has done, and it's giving honor to Jesus for the specifics in our lives, right? It's honoring Jesus. So on Fifth Sunday, what are we going to do? We're all going to come together to honor Jesus and remember what he's done. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Uh, Second, next Sunday, uh, Jade is going to be preaching. I'm going to be out of town, and we're going to be working on the sermon together this week. It'll be kind of fun. And uh, what's that? I will. I will. I'll be out of town. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so you can look forward to Jay when we we'll working on the sermon together this week. It's going to be great. Okay? And uh, the last thing I want to say is, hey, uh, it's Lent. We're in the middle of Lent, so we're, you know, just four or five days in. And I really would encourage you to join us on this negativity fast that we are doing and positivity feast. It's run through a ministry called Igniting Hope. There should still be a link in our weekly email. If you've received that last week or this coming week, we'll send that again. But man, I am getting rocked. Okay, I just want to tell you, it's so powerful. I'm going to talk about uh, this daily devotional that this guy named Steve Backman is sending out. It just every day gives you a little devotional and a way to fast from negativity and feast on positivity because that's the spirit of Jesus, right? There's nothing negative in him. So, I'll talk, again, I'll talk a little more about that and give you some examples of, of how it's been really powerful in the sermon, but just want to throw that out there. Come on. It's not as hard as fasting from sugar, but I think it will be way more impactful for your life, okay? <clears throat> so join us in that. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. I can't wait. I have 35 days left. I'm so excited to receive this email every day. It's really been powerful. Let's pray. Lord, um, you are good. Just confess that again, and you are good to me. Thank you for being so good to me. And so we honor you in this moment. And so, Holy Spirit, every time we ask, you come. And so we ask that you would come. We open our hearts to you. We say that Jesus is our only hope. And so we just uh, anticipate and expect what you're going to speak to us today. Thank you, Lord. You're awesome. Thank you, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Some of you know this already, but uh, my, my father has cancer. And he was diagnosed with mesothelioma about a year and a half ago. Mesothelioma, I probably couldn't have told you what that was before he had it, but it's from asbestos exposure. So, you know, 20, 30 plus years ago, my dad was exposed to asbestos, and it's about that length of time that it takes for it to really take hold in your body. And so he went through a major surgery uh, a year and a half ago in the summer where they removed the sac around one of his lungs, just, you know, major incisions and uh, removing that. 
and then there was just not a great report. So he he had radiation this past summer. So he went through radiation, and now he is he is he is going through chemo. So um, I would just I, I share this. I, you know, I don't always share you know everything that's going on in my life in the front, just because it's like this isn't about me, right? This is about Jesus and what he's saying. But I, but I will just selfishly take this moment to say, hey, I would just love for you to pray for my dad. And so just because of where we're at, and uh, my dad and I are going to be flying out to California this, this next weekend. We just booked a trip a couple weekends ago to go to a church called Bethel in Redding, California. And uh, it's a wonderful place. I've never been there, but I just have heard stories and I've interacted in, in, in conferences and settings like that with some of the people that work there. And the reason we're going there is just because uh, they have aggressively pursued the defeat of cancer. And so they've seen hundreds, probably thousands of people cured from cancer. And so we're just saying, hey, you know, we all have the Holy Spirit, but we also, this is a body and there's different giftings and there's different ways that we have pursued different things. And so in a sense, we're going to say, hey, you guys have a special anointing and, and, and grace in this area. And so I'm just, I'm just believing for my dad to be healed in their prayer rooms on Saturday morning of next weekend. Um, so you can, you can just pray for us in that. <clears throat> One of the things about this specific kind of cancer is, there, is there's really no cure. And that is because, as, as you can imagine, because it's from an exposure to something, that stuff does not leave your body. And so that's, it's, it's a particularly difficult form of cancer. We're in this series about not complaining. And actually, the title is, Why Complaining is the Devil. It's really the devil's, the devil's language. But the, the, the second line is just in how you can overcome it. And oftentimes in our lives, I think we, 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 we face things that feel like mesothelioma. We say there's no cure for this problem. There's no solution for what I am facing. Whether it's a, a small thing about, you know, some situation in your daily life that just is a difficult thing that you're trying to arrange your calendar or fit things in or get everything done in your to-do list, or it's a more difficult situation in a relationship or a difficult work environment or whatever it might be, I think a lot of times we, we, we kind of feel this, this cloud of impossibility in front of us. That there's no antidote, that there's no cure, there's no solution to the problem that I'm facing. And so in, in some ways, we can just kind of turn to complaining and hopelessness and give in to discouragement. The word of the Lord, just to remind you again, as we do every week for 2019, for us as a people, is that we are going to learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice! That's right. Thank you, Matt. You, you, were, you were waiting for your, you, you were prepped. Um, and so in this, what, what the Lord is wanting to teach us is that we are able to, to move above, to reach above our circumstances and tap into something that is not circumstantial, but is always a reason for rejoicing. And that is the goodness of God and the gospel of grace. That in every moment, no matter what the season is, we can tap into Jesus. And that allows us the ability to rejoice and get outside of our circumstances so we can see what we are facing from heaven's perspective. 
to see what we face with the eyes that Jesus would see it if he were in your shoes. So again, we're, we're, right now we're in this journey of this complaining series, working through the book of Exodus. And, and today we're jumping into Numbers because the, kind of the narrative skips over Leviticus. Lots of fun stuff in Leviticus you can read through. Um, but jumping back into the narrative in Numbers today. And here's what we're going to find again. I mean, we're just kind of beating a, beating a, a, we're not beating a dead horse. This is living. We're beating a drum, okay? Faith in Jesus defeats complaining. Guys, it's our faith that is going to defeat that because at the root of complaining is, is unbelief, okay? So let me give you the background. So the Israelites come out of uh, Egypt. They've, they've seen Moses perform some signs initially to say, hey, look at this staff that turns into a snake and look at my hand, now it's leprous. He pulls it in out of his, you know, kind of Napoleon-esque picture. Um, he turns some water into blood and then just the, the Israelites believe. They say, great, let's do this thing. And he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh obviously doesn't let the people go. And God performs these 10 amazing plagues, right? Just frogs everywhere and then flies and hail and all these crazy things. The whole Nile turns to blood. And so finally, Pharaoh says, you know, he lets the people go. So the Israelites see all those things, and then they come up to the Red Sea, and then all of a sudden they see an army of Egypt coming out after them to bring them back, and God parts the water, and they go through. And then as the Egyptian army comes through, God lets the water come crashing down and defeats their enemy that would continue to enslave them. They get into the wilderness, and immediately they start to complain, as we saw over the last couple weeks. And that complaining just continues and continues. So we're going to pick up in the story in Numbers 13. Right, right before this, they've complained again about their hardships in the wilderness. And then some bad things happened. And then again they complain about this manna. Amazing. A food that they didn't have to do any prep for to receive. It's just falling out of heaven every day. But then they, they grow tired of it and they complain. And God sends them like quail. It says three feet high. Like deep of quail in their midst just to make a point. So we're, we're picking up in Numbers 14, if you want to, if you want to, sorry, Numbers 13 first. We're going to do a little bit of 13 and 14. This is where we are in the story. They've just complained. There's been an, actually another rebellion from Moses' own sister and brother kind of speaking bad about him. They're complaining about Moses. It's just filled with this complaining that at the root of it is unbelief. So look at Numbers 13 if you want to read along. It'll be above me. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. And then it goes on, if you're looking in your Bible, to list all 12 of these guys that go out. And then in verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Is it walled or fortified? How's the soil, fertile or poor? Are there trees? You know, da-da-da-da. Do your best to bring back some of the fruit. So he sends them out to explore the land. And the key thing that we have to hold on to is in those initial chapters in Exodus, when Moses came to the people, God spoke that this was his intention, was to give them this land. He promised to the Israelites This is the land I am going to give you. I'm going to lead you back into this land that your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob walked in. So they're they're, they're walking out on the word of God, and they've seen all these signs and wonders to confirm it. Okay? 
So now let's jump down to verse 26. So they go, they search out the whole land, and then this is what happens when they come back. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, which is just a euphemism to say it is abundantly rich and, you know, luscious, really good for growing crops and things like that, okay? Here's its fruit. The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. I want to just pause for a moment and let you reflect. What is the difference here between Caleb and the rest of these guys that have gone on this trip? If you want to talk to somebody next to you, I'm just going to give you a minute to think about this, and if you want to process it out loud with somebody Go for it. You've got about a minute to think about that. Okay? What do you see as the difference between Caleb and these other guys? Just a short time to process there. Here's what I see in Caleb. A simple confidence. For him, the situation that they are facing is not complicated. And he's not intimidated by what he sees because of a simple confidence in what God has spoken to them as a people. He's believing what God has said that he would give them the land. It's simple. It's almost, if I would say, childlike. He's just saying, hey, guys, listen, this is what God has said. We can surely do this. Do you feel, do you feel what he's feeling there? Right? In that situation, he stands in front of the people. He quiets them all down. And with passion in his heart, he says, guys, right, let's go. We can do this. Right? We can certainly do this. And where is that coming from? It's coming from faith in what God has said. But that's not what we feel from the people. The contrast here is immediately we we're hearing this fear that is rooted, the real root of that is unbelief. They don't believe that God is actually going to give them the land like he told them. And then how he backed it up with all of these crazy signs and wonders that he did. So here's what happens. Chapter 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Just a side note. We don't mourn for what has not yet happened. Right? 
All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing to us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Oh man, this is breaking God's heart right now. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We see the complaining start, right? There's fear, it's rooted in unbelief, and then it's re-expressing itself in a complaining spirit. There's even this sense of, of a suicidal thought or, or, or a feeling that, man, my life is, this is so bad, I would rather be dead. And just so that you know, any thoughts along those lines are from the devil. And so what it does is they question the intentions of God. They are believing that God has led them to this place and done all this crazy stuff just so that he could watch them all get slaughtered by their enemies and their wives and kids get taken away into slavery in a new land. That is what they are believing about the nature of God. Graham Cook says, um, the most important thought you will ever think is what you think about God. The most important thing you will ever think is what you think about God. What we think about God's intentions for us changes everything in our life. Now, if you fast forward from this passage 40 years later, what we're going to see happen, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but just for the sake of this point, Caleb is still alive and enters into the land and receives his full inheritance of land for, his, for this tribe that he is a part of, for his, for his, sorry, for his family, because he's actually not an Israelite. Oh my gosh, woe to the Israelites. This foreigner that's traveling along with them is getting it, and they're not. He received this special allotment. The rest of these people are all dead. Because after this moment, God says, okay, you guys aren't going to trust me. You're going to wander in the desert and I'll, deal with the, I'll work with the next generation to enter into the promised land. This little action, this little belief in the nature of God over time leads to two very different extremes, guys. We have to get this down. Right? Our thinking about who God is for us makes all the difference in the world. Our, our faith, right, is not only going to defeat complaining, but then it's going to lead us into the promises of God for our lives. I want you just to try to recall a memory from your childhood that is just, you know, a delightful memory. You know, for me, it's often... Uh, we had a pool growing up, and I would just, I just loved to swim. And so in that hot summer, I would just be swimming in the pool, and, you know, it was usually cold. Our, our pool was in the shade, and it wasn't heated or anything like that. And I would remember, like, coming up into the house and going upstairs and sitting on the bathroom counter and, and putting my feet in the sink and uh, turning on the hot water and just soaking my feet in hot water. And something about that memory... Um, it just kind of was like this memory of peace and that things were good in the world. And this week, it just, God reminded me 
But every place that was like that, he was there delighting in your delight just in what he had made for you to enjoy. Every intention of his heart towards you is good. Every moment in your life that you enjoyed and celebrated, he was there beside you, rejoicing and delighting in your delight. He delights in you. You've caught his attention. And of course he's been with you there in anything that was hard. Painful. Terrible. He was there feeling what you felt and weeping alongside of you. And somehow, this is Graham Cook again, what God permits, what God could prevent in his power, he permits in his wisdom. The challenges that he allows in your life, um, are there to help you grow to know him more. The Bible doesn't say that everything in your life is good. It says that in all things, he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even as God's heart broke when yours did, His plan is for every intention of the devil to backfire. That every place where the devil meant for harm, right, God would now turn into good. And our role is simply to believe in his goodness to me. That is the work of God. It's not to work harder. It's not to pray more. It's not to try a little bit better at loving your family. It's not to be a little bit of a better employee. It is to believe. The work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Um, If you've faced big challenges in your life, Man, it must be because God just thinks so much of you that he thought that you would be able to do it. Because as we heard last week, with every temptation, there is a way of escape. With every challenge, God is believing, right, for that to be turned around and to backfire in the devil's face. And for him to be glorified and for you to be free and become stronger, and to look more and more like Jesus. 
Mark Fee reminded me uh, just in an email after my last sermon, I was talking about we don't always know the why of what we're going through. But it's interesting in, in, in Deuteronomy, at the end of this story, before the Israelites march into the promised land, Moses kind of tells them the why. He says, this is what God was doing in the wilderness. He was, it was to test you and to teach you. I'm summarizing here, but those are the two words that it expresses, to test you. Not to say, let's evaluate and see if you can pass the test, but to bring what's out in them out. And to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To test them to trust the character and nature of God. That towards them, it was good. Okay. We started late. We did. Snow. I'll I'll wrap this up. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there. Right? Their hearts broken to hear the accusations about the character of God, about God's character being maligned. You, you, you feel the intensity of what they feel as, these, as the people grumble against God. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They feel the intensity of, of, of what complaining really is. It's assaulting the God that they love and trust. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Right? They're like, guys, this is good. God has brought us to something good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Do you hear the reversal of the language that they just stated? They said, this land devours those. We're like grasshoppers. And they say, no, that is not the vision of heaven. We will devour them. It's just a beautiful thing to say. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That's what this negativity fast is all about that we are going through. It is all about reversing the typical narrative that the world and the people around you want to feed you. A narrative of negativity and pessimism. Now without Jesus, there's a heck of a lot to be negative about. But with him, there is nothing When you, when you, if you sign up for this negativity fast, you take a beliefs assessment. Oh, conviction of God, right? Here's some of the statements that, that you answer as you read through this. And you answer, you fill in the blank with like always, often, sometimes, or never. So I'm just going to fill in, you'll hear different words from me. I often feel that, if, that I'm not doing my, if I'm not doing my best, God isn't going to help. What's the truth? What's the nature of God that you believe for you? 
Maybe it's, I sometimes feel that God distances himself from me when I do something wrong. I often feel like I am a disappointment to God. And I never feel that there is always a solution for every problem I face. Right? What is the truth? It is the character of God and that there is a solution in heaven for every challenge you are facing. What does Jesus say? What is impossible with man is possible with God. And nothing is impossible for those that believe. Isn't that incredible? Guys, you have to hear that again. Every problem you are facing, there is a solution in heaven. And faith is what reaches up and brings that down. Not being a better person, not praying a little bit more and hoping that you're going to twist God's arm finally as you beg before him, because that's not what sons and daughters do. They don't beg their parents for a loaf of bread. They expect good things to come their way. Don't they, honey? (laughs) Lots of good things all the time. Okay, lots of sugar. Okay. Guys, it's a reversal of the thinking. The guy that's writing this, this negativity fast, he signs his emails, you know, before his name, unreasonably optimistic. That is what the people of God are called to be because in every situation, God is there. Do you hear Caleb saying, what is the, what is the baseline of all of it? The Lord is with us. Guys, the pillar of clouds right there. Did you forget? It's like right there. Oh, it's night now. It's fire now, right? They've seen all of these things, and yet they don't believe. Because seeing is not believing. As Jesus says, it is believing that is seeing. We have a choice if we are going to believe the word of God or not. You can see all the miracles in the world and still not believe. They did. A whole generation that saw all the plagues and the Red Sea part. Unbelievable, and they still didn't believe. Because it's a choice that you have to make. That you say, I am going to believe what God said. And I'm going to say there's a solution in heaven for every situation that I am facing. Guys, if you want to see what's in the Bible, believe what's in the Bible. Part of what we're talking about this year in this rejoicing always is we have to get to a place of a deeper faith that allows us to rejoice in every situation that we face so that revival can come in our midst and reach out into this area. Are you tracking with me? If we want to see what's in the book of Acts, we need to believe what God says in the Bible. If we don't believe, we will not see. Jesus says, believe and you will see the kingdom of God. So when we're not seeing the kingdom, the issue is always coming back to us. It's not God is holding out on us. He never holds out. It's that we need to believe in a deeper place the character and nature of God that every intention towards us is good and that we are who God says we are. Now, I mean, I just have to read this last section because you just hear God's heart break in this. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Verse 10. 
right? They pour out their hearts before the people, and what's their response? Let's kill them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all, all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them. I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. They're treating God with contempt because simply they won't trust him. And how often have you and I done that? We've doubted the word of God. It breaks his heart. And so what happens? Actually, God doesn't kill all the people. Moses stands in the gap and intercedes for the people. And God spares them and says, later on down in verse 20, I have forgiven them as you have asked. And then he says, nevertheless, they're going to all die in the wilderness after 40 years of walking around. But here's what Moses says in that between time as he's interceding. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. He knows the character of God. And that's made all the difference. Now guys, if we have failed at this, we have a greater intercessor than Moses. Jesus has come down from heaven to show us what God is like. And every intention of God's heart for us is good. And in that place of showing the world love, wicked men put Jesus to death. And God received the death of Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for sin. So that now, in every place, everywhere, no one else like Moses will have to intercede for forgiveness because it is always available. In every moment, in every season, for every person everywhere, forgiveness is now on the table. Past, present, and future sin. We've got a great mediator Let's have the band come back up. I read a book uh, last winter called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Anyone read that book? It's a guy named Robert Kiyosaki. He talks all about just kind of how money works and how you, can, how you can get rich. It's great. It's really working for me. Um, <laughs> It's a great read. He's got a lot of really wisdom about it, I would say. But one thing that he talks about is that rich and poor is actually a mentality. It's not how much money you have. So you can be rich and broke. Are you understanding the difference that I'm describing? My wife read a book about uh, a woman who was in New York City. And I think was she... um, the whole book wasn't about her, but it was basically talking about how she just she kind of made all this money in, in different things that she pursued. She was an entrepreneur. You don't remember this? And she made millions, like four times she made millions and lost it all later on. And then she would start up some other entrepreneur thing and make millions, and then she would lose it all. And then she, you know, like, I think it happened like four times. It's because it's a mentality shift. It's what you're believing about what is possible and about who you are. It's the same in the kingdom, except way more important than money. What we believe about God and about ourselves 
changes the trajectory of our lives, just like it did for Caleb and the wilderness generation. All right. So here's how we're going to respond today. Let's stand up. What in your life has caused you to doubt the nature of God, that every intention for him is good for you? That is the question you need to bring to God today. And to release that to him and to receive somehow through the power of the Spirit his goodness to you because he delights in you. You really are the beloved. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now and to rock some people's lives with your goodness that they did not earn that they did not work up to. Holy Spirit, come and let us feel the affection of our Father in heaven and help us to release what we've been holding on to that challenges your nature and keeps us from rejoicing. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Thank you, God.